0: Oh, God, that in that theme that is our focus in our new winter's journey, those words call us in their poignant way. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful and Jesus will save. We believe it. We certainly confess it. Oh, God, how can we live it as contagious followers Of the Master. As our study commences now, illumine our minds as we ponder the meaning of Scripture and the life to which you have called us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. In the latest issue of Ministry Magazine, a journal for pastors and clergy, there is a piece written by a Quaker pastor and author, James R. Newby. In the piece that I read just a few weeks ago, he tells a story I had not heard about Albert Einstein. Everybody remembers Dr. Einstein. He was traveling that particular day on a train out of New York City when the conductor came through the passenger coach, wanting the tickets, click, 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 punch the tickets or collect the tickets, and... He saw the conductor coming. He's trying frantically to find his ticket. He can't find it. He's pulled all his pockets out by the time the conductor is there inside out. He's rifling through his briefcase at that moment. The conductor looks at him and recognizes the world-renowned scientist. And he says, oh, Dr. Einstein, please. He said, I, I know who you are. I trust you. Don't, don't worry about it, please. Conductor proceeded to move to the rest of the cabin. Coach. Collecting tickets and so on. About a half hour later, the conductor came back through that same car to find the Princeton professor down on his hands and knees, groping and feeling under the baggage in the seat, still looking for his ticket. And The conductor came to him and said, please, Dr. Einstein, I've told you, I trust you. You, you, you don't have to worry about this. Einstein, on his hands and knees, looks up into the face of the conductor and he says, young man, this is not an issue of trust. This is an issue of direction. I have no idea where I'm going and I want to find that ticket, please. Now, I don't know if Albert Einstein was really that absent-minded. I, I just don't know. But the issue of direction is critical for the Christian who now lives and survives in the third millennium. As a Christian, I ask you the question, uh, the logical question, do you know where you are going? Hmm? As a Seventh-day Adventist cre- Christian, where you? Are you going? Do you know? You see, how can you tell someone else if you don't know yourself? So here we are today launching. As we did last Sabbath, a a brand new pulpit series entitled The Contagious Adventist. And it is imperative we confront the question, the issue of direction here, because there's no way you and I can be contagious. There's no way our faith can be contagious if we ourselves are not sure where we are going. And so for these next seven Sabbaths beginning right now, we're going to examine together you and I in this Contagious Adventist journey seven cheerful, winsome, attractive reasons why you are what you are, why I am what I am, a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. You know, the reason we do so is because the big, and we met him just a moment ago, contagious Christian, that was Dave, wasn't it? Dave was, the, I mean, Peter, Dave, Dave was Peter. The big, contagious fisherman Christian Peter once wrote his readers. Let's just just look this up here. First Peter, find First Peter. I'm in the, the uh, New Revised Standard Version. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and reverence. But I like the way the New Living Translation puts verse 16. Now, when you're giving a defense of the hope that you have within you, always do it, I like this, with gentleness and respect. That's good. Good counsel with gentleness and respect. Always do it with gentleness and respect. So for the next seven times together, let's explore how we can be gentle, respectful, but be able to give a defense. By the way, that word for defense in the Greek is this word apologia. From whence comes our word apology. Apology. Now, we, you know, when, we, when we say apology, I am sorry. No, 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 no. Not in the Greek. When you say apology, apologia, it means you are defending why you believe what you believe. Peter says, be ready to give not an apology. I'm so sorry I believe this. Are oh, you not Throw your shoulders back and say, I want to give a defense. All through the book of Acts. That's what Paul, the word is used with Paul. I'm giving a defense, an apology. So we talk about apologetics. Last, last night, I had, uh, it was a blessing for me to be able to be here in our church, speaking here in the pulpit. Uh, Mark Knoll, who is uh, an historian from Wheaton College, wrote the book, The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind, which has blessed me, calling for Christians to regard not only the spirit and the heart as sacred, but the mind as sacred, the, the journey of the mind as well. In this book, a fascinating quotation from... Uh, the provost of Samford University down in Birmingham, Alabama, Christian University, William Hull. And I I want you to catch this. A remnant strategy means, Hull writes, that the Christian understanding of truth will have to commend itself by persuasion rather than being accepted because of the sheer force of numbers as a totalist strategy would permit. Now, read on. As the New Testament so vividly illustrates, Christianity seems to work best from a modest position. That posture keeps its advocates humble, which is paradoxically the powerful servant stance. That's the best position to be in. Furthermore, informed dissent, those who challenge your faith, keeps the dialogue honest and delivers the Christian apologist. He's not apologizing. She's defending from the twin perils of complacency or authoritarianism. I'm just going to not worry about. No, keep you sharp. Keep you on your toes. That's why we want to go into this journey together now. To aid us in the journey, we're going to have a study guide every time. Pull your study guide out right now, please. And while you're doing that, it's in your worship bowl. Now, I want to say to those of you listening on the radio, watching on television, you may find this study guide on our website, our Pioneer Memorial Church website, pmchurch.org. O-R-G. In fact, you can go there right now, and today's study guide is there because Janine Webb, uh, Janine Lynn, our webmaster, has. Well, we're going to call her Ms. Webb. She works so hard on this website, and it is really, I'm so proud of the work she has done on it. But Janine Lim, has uh, put it there. And so if you'd like to go to our website, you're listening on the radio right now, pmchurch.org, and you can have the study guide as we go through as well. But the rest of you have it in the bulletin. Anybody need an extra copy? Our ushers are here to put an extra copy in your hand. So if you need an extra copy, just hold your hands up. And our ushers will do that. Let's, let's go ahead and just begin filling in our study guide right now. Number one, let's put it on the screen. Study guide, Peter's advice on how to be contagious. Always be ready. Write in the word ready to make your defense apology to anyone with gentleness and respect. That's the New Living, see? Always be ready. Write those three words in, please. Be ready make your defense to anyone with gentleness and respect. All right. Cheerful, attractive, winsome. Hold your hand up if you need a study guide. Uh, Our ushers are beside you now. Cheerful, attractive, winsome, practical, contagious reason number one why you are what you are. Let's set the scene up. Before I give you number one, let's just kind of set the scene up. All right. You're sitting there having lunch across a restaurant table from a business associate or colleague and the... Question is asked or you're in a library and you, you fall into a conversation with a patron in the library. And before you know it, the question is raised or you're in the middle of a golf round or a tennis match or you're shooting hoops. And boom, it, you know, I've been wondering the question is asked or you're on a plane You've gotten to know your seatmate. And boy, the conversation is going and boom, there's a question. You could be sitting in that salon chair, your beautician, the barber, you know, talking like a blue streak. Boom, here comes the question. Now, are you ready to answer the question? See, that's the setting. And the question, oh, oh, by the way, here's the question. You say, come on, what is it? Here's the question. Say, please tell me, what is it that you believe? I want to know what you believe. You say, they're never going to ask me to write that question. Oh, they will. If you earlier in the conversation have asked, by the way, what do you believe? You can just kind of set it up. You can, you can get the question asked of you. What do you believe, by the way? So they will ask. And another way they may put the question is this. let put this one on the screen. They might ask the question, do you belong to a particular religion? Say, They're not going to ask me that. Well, they will if you have already asked them, see. Do you belong to a particular religion? Do you go to a particular church? I used to ask it that way. Do you go to a particular church? One time I asked it of a man I'm sitting beside on the plane. I said, which church... Do you attend? He said, I've never attended a church in my life. I thought to myself, oh, I am sitting by an atheist. Here we go. He said, no, I've never attended a church in my life. I always go to synagogues. (laughs) Oh, I asked the wrong question. See, so maybe instead of asking the question, which church do you attend? You can ask the question, do you belong to a particular religion? That'll work because they say yes. What? Well, what do you believe? Boom, boom. You you see, you, you can get there from here. Just by asking questions. Now, I want to hit the pause button right here. Ladies and gentlemen, there's no point in me spending any time on scenarios now and eventualities and, and adjustments in a conversation. I'll tell you what, you really must take. The Becoming a Contagious Christian Seminar. You'll get it all. You'll get it all there. Brian was absolutely right a moment ago. We've had that many people. We've got over 150 have signed up just in the last two Sabbaths who want to be a part. Now, we're, we've got to finish the present seminar. We're going to give new times. This seminar is going to go on and on and on. You must please sign up. You will never be the same again. I promise you. Now, in this pulpit series, what you get here, you won't get there. And what you get there, you won't get here. They're just going to operate that way. So thank you for being here. You'll have study guides. You'll have a way to take notes. All right. I'm becoming a contagious Adventist. Now back to the original scene. It's a friend, it's a neighbor, it's a roommate, it's a it's a classmate, it's a teacher, it's a student. You've been asked the question, "What do you believe as a Seventh Day Adventist?" Because the moment they ask you what you believe, they're going to get to the question, "What do you believe as a Seventh Day Adventist?" Oftentimes, I'll get the question asked to me like this. Once I'm into conversation with that uh, person, the question will go this way. "Say, now look at. I am a Baptist. I want to know. You tell me." What's the difference between what you believe and what I believe? That often is asked. I'm a Methodist. I'm an Episcopalian. I'm an Orthodox. I'm a Catholic. Hey, what's the difference between what we believe? All the time. That's the way it's phrased and framed. Now, I have a little bit of uh, counsel to give you. Please, very carefully. Please. Always. Always. It's a very good question for somebody to ask. You better be ready with a very good answer. But always, always, always begin with contagious reason number one. Do not jump to contagious reason two. Do not jump to contagious reason three, four, five, six, or seven. Stay with number one. Resist the temptation to take your name, Seventh-day Adventist, and start parsing it. Forget it. Go with contagious reason number one. To reinforce that point, let's make sure we get it right here in our Study guide. Whenever you are asked what is it you believe as a Seventh-day Adventist, your answer must always see the word always, always. Now, there are eventualities, I understand. But always, please begin with contagious reason number one. And that's why today, First Things First, that's the title of our study today, First Things First first. You ready for contagious reason? Number one. All right, Dwight, come on. You set the whole table up. Let's go now. Okay, let's fill it in. Go straight to it. The reason I am a 7th Why are you what you are? The reason I am a Seventh-day Adventist Christian is because right in the two words, Jesus is Lord. That that is contagious reason number one. A Christian, by definition, is one for whom Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Therefore, to be a Seventh-day Adventist Christian is to be one for whom Jesus is Lord. Why are you what you are? Because, number one, Jesus is my Lord. Don't ever separate those words. Ever. Seventh-day Adventist. And Christian, to make sure, let's just put it in right here in the study guide. Why? You see, there, there, there's, the next sentence begins with blanks. The reason I'm a Seventh-day Adventist Christian is because Jesus is Lord. The next sentence, Seventh-day Adventist and Christian, put in those two names, Seventh-day Adventist and Christian must always go together. Always. Why? Well, I'll tell you why. Unfortunately, we have been confused with other indigenous American religious movements that are not Christian. Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Christian Scientists—these are all sincere, wonderful, God-love people. But not one of those religions is a Christian religion, for none accepts the eternal divinity of Jesus Christ. But the public often confuses us. Oh, I, I know who you are. You are the ones that have strong health convictions and lots of wives. No, no, we're, we're not that. I know LDS and SDA, you know, they, they kind of get all wrapped up, but they're easy to even confuse our initials. No. Oh, oh I know you. I know who you are. You're the ones that go door to door with cheap paper pamphlets and refuse blood transfusions and do not pledge allegiance to the flag. No, 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 no. That's, that's, that's not us. Oh, I know who you are. You're the ones that produce that breakfast cereal in Battle Creek. And your headquarters are in Salt Lake City and you're sponsoring the Winter Olympics. Well, we would love to, but no, that <laughs> really is not us either. You see, to avoid confusion, it is imperative that the contagious Adventist begin his reason of witness, his apology with contagious reason. Number one, Jesus is Lord. I just want you to know why I am a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. Jesus is Lord. By the way, not just to avoid confusion, but to also show connection. I don't know what you've heard about what I believe, but I want you to know, for me, Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. The very raison d'etre, the passion of Christianity, is my passion too. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist because of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the reason for why I am what I am. Jesus is Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a vital law of all communication and persuasion always begin on common ground. Paul did that. I'm not going to have time to look up these texts. But in Acts chapter 22, Paul has just been... Pulled, snatched by the Romans from this crowd of angry Jews who want to lynch him. And Paul gets up on the top of those stairs. You remember, and he says, hey, by the way, I am a Jew and I studied under Gamaliel. And the Bible says the crowd. Why? He established common ground. In Acts chapter 23, Paul walks in. He's, he's being brought to trial be, before our get, a tribunal of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And Paul says, man, I am in big trouble here. I think I'll split the crowd. He said, oh, by the way, I am on trial because I am a Pharisee and I believe in the resurrection. And suddenly the Pharisees who wanted his blood said, hey, wait, what is the problem? This guy, he's one of us. Let him off. Let him off. Paul, it was a brilliant move. He took the common ground approach, split the group. They could not make a decision. Paul, always in his said, King Agrippa, I want to tell you, King, you know all about us. I know you. He establishes common ground. Stephen, Paul might have learned it from his nemesis. Stephen, who in front of a Jewish tribunal of clerics, immediately starts with the Old Testament tells just story after story after story. Brilliant move because they're all right now with him. Establish. Let's write it down. In fact, this is so important. It is a law of all contagious communication. Always begin on common ground. Okay? That's vital. That's why contagious reason number one. Not two, three, four, five, six, seven. They're all fine. Start always with one. Go with one. Now, having said all that, Jesus is Lord. Let's collect some shining Bible evidences for this quintessence of all truth. Obviously, ladies and gentlemen, this book, particularly the New Testament, is devoted to making that point clear all the way through the New Testament. We could have thousands of texts this morning from the New Testament. We're not going to. In fact, I want to say a word. Some of you, uh, some of you need to get over your hang-up about memorizing texts. And numbers. What is the problem? You just get over it. Do you know when your birthday is? Can you memorize that number? Yes. You know your Social Security number? Yes. You know when Christmas is? Yes. When's July 4? You know when that one is too. (laughs) So you don't have any problem memorizing numbers. Get over it. I'm not going to give you hundreds of texts for each apology, each apologetics and defense. This time I'm giving you three. Now, we're going to put all kinds of other ones on the study guide so that you can see the the biblical corroboration. But just start. If you memorize your Social Security number, you can memorize texts. They're more important than any Social Security number anyway. Okay, let's go to the study guide. Let's start. We're ready. Three key texts today. Can you imagine this all down to three? Yep. Key text number one. Fill it in. Jesus is Lord because of... Oh, come on. Can you fill in that reference? John three sixteen and seventeen. Write in sixteen and seventeen, please. You see, we, a lot of times we forget seventeen. By the way, we remember John three sixteen. We did it just a moment ago with the children's story. Let's go uh, to the text. We know it. For God so loved the world. Of course, Jesus is Lord because God loved and He gave His Son. He gave His Son so that if I believe in Him, I don't have to perish. I can live forever and ever. And then I love verse 17. Don't ever forget verse 17. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. The good news of Jesus' Lordship is not that He's come to judge us. It's that He came to save us. Sometimes some Christians of all stripes, shades and colors and sizes get mixed up and they really focus on Jesus as the judge. That's too bad because the great truth about Christ, Jesus is Lord. He's my savior. God sent him to save, not to condemn. We need to remember cheerful, buoyant, attractive reasons. Focus on the cheerful, buoyant, attractive truth. That is it. Now, are there any subtext to this? Oh, there's some beautiful subtexts. I love Romans chapter five. Our children's story came straight out of Romans chapter 5. Look at this one. Let's read it on the screen. For while we were still weak at the right time. This is Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. Those of you listening on the radio. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Randy Burris did, and he didn't even know if that baby was righteous or not. He just said, I've got to save this baby. I don't care what it takes. And he gave his life to save an unknown infant. Rarely, Paul says, once in a while you will hear of somebody dying, though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. Paul writes, but God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the gospel. Contagious reason number one will be the gospel. Every text on that sheet is the gospel. Gospel is from the Greek euangelion. It means evangel. Evangel means good news. An evangelist is one. You are an evangelist. Let's get over this used car hype about an evangelist. No, you are an evangelist. If you share good news, which I sure hope as a contagious Adventist Christian you do, you are an evangelist. See? All of this is the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. The love of Christ urges us on. I like it in the NIV. Compels us. The love of Christ compels us. Because we are convinced that one has died for all. Therefore, all died. And He died for all so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died and was raised for them. Gospel. God took my place. Jesus died. I died in Christ He died in my place. All died in him. It's the mystery and glory of the gospel. I'm going to leave a second. You can look first Timothy two up sometime. That just says that there's one mediator, Christ, between God and man who gave himself as a ransom. I want to go now to key text number two, because this one. Why don't we use this more? This is powerful. And so let's write it down. Key text number two, Jesus is Lord. This would be 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. I do want you to look this one up. I want you to look it up in your Bible. 1 Timothy 1, 15. Did you know this text was there? I think you've heard it. You've heard it. You don't read it very often, that I know. But you've heard it. The whole gospel, it occurs to me, The whole gospel is contained in the words of 1 Timothy 1.15. This would be a text worth memorizing. It's so easy. It is so simple. Just like John 3.16. It's shorter than John 3.16, actually. 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Now, the King James says, chief. What does the NIV say? Call it out to me. I'm the worst. I'm the worst sinner. Chief sinner foremost. You know what? It, it, there is the whole gospel. The, uh, this is the truth. Christ Jesus came into the world, to came from God equal with God, came to the world to save sinners. And I, I'm the worst of the worst. By the way, this text op- is a beautiful way to open up your own testimony. If you'll take the becoming a contagious Christian, you're going to learn how to be able to give your story with Jesus in three minutes. It's beautiful. It's so simple. You're going to be able to tell a person why it is that Jesus came to save you. You're going to be able to share your life before, what happened when he found you, and now your life since, Just like that. Oh, and by the way, if you will take becoming a contagious Christian, you will learn on the basis of... The teaching of this text, you will learn in a restaurant to take a napkin sitting right there on the table, pull your pen out and you will be able to draw a cartoon and you will be able to put the entire gospel in a little cartoon that you will draw that will teach the truth of the everlasting gospel. You've got to take the seminar. I'm not going to. I'm not going to show you the cartoon here. I'm not even going to get into it. Why? Because we're we're moving beyond that. But I want you to know that First Timothy chapter one verse fifteen is a beautiful way for you to tell somebody Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And by the way, I'm a rank sinner. But hallelujah, I found Jesus. There are only three texts. Three in this. Jesus is the Lord. Contagious reason number one. Let's go to uh, text number three. Text number three. Oh, and by the way, I just looked down at my notes and I realized I left off all the subtexts. You see those subtexts? Those are beautiful subtexts. Romans three twenty three, don't don't put them on the screen, please. Romans three twenty three, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. I mean you can teach, you can teach the gospel. These are easy to remember. Romans six twenty three, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. I deserve to die, you do too, my friend. You sin, yeah, we all sin. But Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Isaiah 53, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all of us. I mean, these are beautiful texts. Look them up. Go home and mark your Bible. The reason I put the subtext in is because I want you to become saturated in the gospel witness. Not just three texts. Three is what you need to remember. But the others will saturate you and the Holy Spirit will bring them right off your hard disk. Right off the hard disk, he will. All right, let's go to the key text number three. Jesus is Lord. Write it down. Acts 16:31. I love this story ho <laughs> you know, there may be a place in the conversation sometime to share the story. You know, once upon a time there was a great Christian. His name was Paul. He and a buddy of his named Silas were in a in a Macedonian city called Philippi, and they were arrested for their faith. I mean, they were they were stripped, they were scourged, backs bruised, bloody. They were thrown into the local brig, thrown into the jail. It's an incredible story, you say to your friend. It's an incredible story. These guys, under that kind of duress, these men, begin singing. <laughs> they just start singing. They have found in God a forever friendship, and they sing to their friend. Now, the rest of the prisoners, of course, in all the cells of that jail here, over here, the singer, The jailer over here is the singing. What is a crazy guy singing? In the middle of the night, according to the story in Acts 16, there is a massive seismic There is an earthquake. It is so strong that the doors to the cells are all thrown open. The chains of the prisoners all fall off, indicating it must have been a supernatural event. And the jailer awakened. Finally, fell asleep through the singing. Awakened by the earthquake, races out with his torch held high. Sees the doors of the jail open. The jailer knows the Roman law is very simple. You get the lucrative assignment, you get the, uh, you get all that you can reap from being warden here. But one of these gets away, it's your life or theirs. It's over. That you understand? It's over. The jailer knows they've all fled. It's time for harikiri. It's time to take his life. As he's preparing to fall on a sword, Paul and Silas step out of their cell. They see what's about to take place, and Paul yells. Stop! Don't harm yourself. Stop. And the jailer realizes there's something different about these men. I'm going to put the text on now. Verse 30. And then he brought them outside, the jailer did, and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And here comes, oh, don't you ever forget Paul's answer as long as you live. Then they, Paul and Silas answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Oh, Christianity's offer is really that simple. You say, that's just one isolated text. Hey, wait a minute. Let me put this up. Romans chapter 10. Let's just fill this in first. Let's just fill in the study guide. Christianity's offer of salvation is truly that simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Write in the two words, Lord Jesus, while we're here. Just fill that in. And then I want to take you to Romans chapter 10. Look at this. Romans 10, verse 9. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you might be... Does it say you might be saved? Perhaps you... What does it say? You will. If you confess that Jesus is Lord, contagious reason number one, if you confess that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. No maybes about it. Saved. There are some people who try to argue with that text. I certainly hope you and I are not among... That ill-fated debate. The text is clear. He gave it by word to the jailer. He wrote it in the greatest theological treatise in the New Testament. You want to be saved? You say it. You believe it. Say it. Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. That's kind of good for a community of faith like this to be reminded, first things first. You aren't saved because of contagious reason two. You won't be saved because of contagious reason three. You won't be saved because of four, five, six, or seven. You will not be saved from any of those reasons. Only one will save you. Get it clear. Only one will save you. And it's contagious reason number one. Only one. If you don't have contagious reason one straight in your own heart and mind, you you won't be contagious. Because nobody wants to start with two. Nobody wants to start with three. The good news begins in number one. Now, I'm going to show you next week. Oh, number two is beautiful. Only if number one is clear. Contagious reason number one. All right. Well, we could, I'm, not, I'm not going to put these texts up. Acts 4.12, there's no other name under heaven given among humankind whereby we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. 1 John 5, 12, He who has the Son has life. She who does not have the Son does not have life. You've got to have the Son. Jesus is the reason why I am a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. Jesus is Lord. Contagious reason number one. Ladies and gentlemen, look all the texts up. They are clear. They are clear. Let's fill out that study guide again. Three key texts. John 3, 16. 1 Timothy 1, 15. Acts 16, three key texts that lead up to the natural question. My friend, would you like to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior too? Would you write those words in, please? Accept as your. Because you see, not everybody that you're giving your testimony to, and that you're sharing this reason with, not everybody is a Baptist. Do you understand? I mean, the guy that asked you might be Hindu. And he say, I want to know. Well, he might be, you know, in this, we're now living postmodern, post-Christian the most rapidly growing segment of America is secular. Secular. They don't have any, any religion. I received a letter from one of our Faith for Today uh, viewers, uh, supporters, uh, last week. He sent me a letter from his grandson who works in Hollywood. Grew up in an Adventist home, by the way. And has just since abandoned all religion, and he's into Taoism now, and Buddhism, and Hinduism, and the whole. And it's a beautiful letter. And the, the, the man from the state of Washington said, Dwight, I think you need. To, you, this is who you're trying to reach with Faith for Today, isn't it? And I, and I read that letter, and I, my, I was touched. A sincere, 27 years old, sincere, earnest, saying how he's seeking for truth. More than likely, the person you have a conversation with anymore is a person with no connection at all. A person that wants God. A person that's hungry. Really? Jesus? I mean, Jesus? So you can come? This is a very logical place, if you're sharing contagious reason number one, to say, you know what, my friend? He can be your, fr- he can be your savior. He can be your Lord, too. Don't be hesitant about making an invitation. Take, take uh, becoming a contagious Christian seminar, because you learn how to very easily make the invitation. It's a piece of, piece of cake, spiritually speaking. You can do it. You've always thought, nah, I can't. Gotta be a preacher. Gotta be, you come from the seminary. Rubbish. A church in Acts grew, because Ordinary people like you and me ask the question, Would you, you want to believe? You want to believe? You want to believe? You want to believe? Do you want to believe? Today's just reason number one. Jesus is Lord. Three texts. One passion. Jesus is my Lord. And that is why I am a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. Is He your Lord. Is He? Is He? Is He? Please, keep Him, Lord. Every new morning, every new morning, go to your knees. Holy Christ, today, be Master. Today, all the decisions I make over the next 16 waking hours, today, please, be my Lord. The people I meet, make me contagious for them. Let your lordship be what they see. So when they walk away, like it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, they took note that these early Christians had been with Jesus. Let that be what people see today. Jesus, please. Lord, again today in my life. Oh God, to be so contagious that all shall see Christ only, always, living in me, living in us. That is our desire. Dear Father, that the Lordship of Jesus might be the light that shines forth from within. And so, Holy Father, let us grow and grow and grow in Christ that we might share Him with this world. And now grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory and glory now and for all eternity. Amen.